0: All right, so have you guys ever been to a, like one of those Instagram pop-ups, you know what I'm
2: talking about, the museums? Yeah, I just went to the, it was like Boba Tea one. Yankee Candle pop-up shop was one of the best experiences of my life. It was weird to see so many people on Instagram like go to the happy museum or the the refinery 29 one honestly it's kind of disappointing because you go in and it's just like you throw these pink boba balls into like the hoops 10 to 15 different individual rooms that were all themed around a candle and each one was photo worthy they were definitely just there to get a good picture and it was so weird to see how many people all fell into the same like i need to go to experience this and it's cool like the concept of it but by the time you get to the end it's like oh i just spent 25 dollars to like walk a u-shape in like a small building.
1: Hello, welcome to Why'd You Push That Button, a show where Ashley Carmen, hello, and Caitlin Tiffany, that's me, examine the choices technology forces us to make. We're here. We did it.
0: <laughs> it is part three of the miniseries, as promised, we delivered. I'm sure you saw billboards. Yeah, we had right. them all over the subways, Times Square. hmm if you missed it, I'm sorry.
1: All right. What are we talking about today? The third final installment of our Instagram miniseries.
0: Well, I think this is my favorite one. You know
1: I've been hyped on this. Ashley has talked about this every moment that she's been awake for the last <laughs> six weeks.
0: We are talking today about what makes a place Instagram worthy. So I'm trying to remember like how we kind of came to this topic, but I think a big part of it was us discussing these pop-up museums, pop-up experiences.
1: Yes, and brand activations. These are two terms I think we need to unpack for people who live lives that are slightly less stupid than ours. <laughs> Do you want to take yeah, that Yeah, so
0: the pop-up museum, I think it became popular because of the Museum of Ice Cream. Was yeah, that the first one? I think
1: that's the first big one. It
0: got a whole New York Mag cover story or whatever. You should read it. It's great. Basically, it's these pop-ups where... Who knows who is running these operations? They create spaces that are essentially designed for you to take photos for Instagram. So, typically, if you're in a space and you're like, is this a pop up? These are the things you should look for a ball pit, colorful mm. murals, staged settings. Like Those, a big, like pink swing set to, to yes, sit on. Swing sets are yeah. huge. Yeah. Swing sets, um, slides, things that are active but also very pretty. And Make you feel young again, I would say. So
1: the Museum of Ice Cream was not really a museum. It was not particularly educational. You're not like... Ice cream goes back to rock salt or whatever the hell they use to
0: make (laughs) ice cream like you do in science class. Is that what you use? I don't know. I have no idea how ice cream is made because there's not a real museum of ice cream.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, um, we can watch some YouTube videos after this. Um, And then a brand activation a uh, brand activation, I guess, is the overarching like umbrella under mm-hmm. which an Instagram museum mm-hmm. pop up would fall. We went
0: to a brand activation specifically for this episode. We went to oh, Timberland's
1: right. experiential retail store mm-hmm. where they're experimenting mm-hmm. with immersive shopping. Options that they might roll out to all of their stores? So, the store, which is on Fifth
0: Avenue, you know, the hot shopping street, mm-hmm. has a rain room inside of it, but it's basically just a room that had like icicles that you would use to decorate your house around Christmas time and mirrors. No offense to whoever designed this, because if you listen to this podcast, you know, I appreciate you, but
1: you kind of phoned it in. It was really lazy. The mirrors were, like, the circular mirrors that they hang up in, like, convenience stores to prevent people from shoplifting. And then, like, the lights, as Ashley said, were, like, things you would hang off your porch. There was really no reason you would ever take a photo in there. But they tried. Yeah. But, I I'm like, so I think for this episode... What we're asking is, like, what does make it worth it to take a photo? Mm-hmm. Do you take photos at brand activations? Do you take photos at Instagram pop-ups? Do you have, like, a really specific high bar for where you will and will not take an Instagram for your grid?
0: And it's maybe just worth noting here, too, that these pop-up museums often charge an entrance fee. So you do pay to get in, whereas a brand activation, as Caitlin and I are referring to it, is typically free. Like, you can walk into the Timberland store, but you're paying You're paying forward Pre-ads. yeah, yeah. With ads on your grid yeah
1: and then our our coworker Casey Newton wrote this really good piece mm-hmm. maybe a year ago or two yeah, years ago yeah it's a great piece oh like a little while ago about like how res- restaurants are being designed specifically for Instagram now and that yeah. you can see that in a lot of spaces not just Shopping.
0: Yeah, but. you can sort of see this idea of what's an Instagram worthy place play out around anywhere you look. I mean, the mural on Houston in the city, it's like the quintessential place to take a photo on Houston. It's like every tourist stops and takes a photo in front of the mural. Restaurants, you see it with how dishes are designed, how wallpapers are picked, all sorts of things. And then you have like these actual designated spaces specifically created for you to take pictures. And so, Kaylin and I are like, What the heck? Is there a common denominator amongst all of these places that makes us take the picture? Or is it just a feeling? Like, what drives the photo?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we already know that maybe our opinions on this one are like, are a little different. We're butt heads a little bit. This, <laughs> this app. What else is new? Ashley, how do you feel about pop-ups, museums, brand activations? Would you ever partake? Of course. I mean,
0: <laughs> I have my lines, though. So I could. this whole episode could just be about me if we want. <laughs> I would love that. Okay. I will never pay to go to a pop-up museum. I've gone to Refinery29's 29 Rooms, which is another one of those original-type places. Uh, they really saw this trend coming years ahead um, where they do 29 rooms and we're actually going to talk to one of the creators of the space later in the episode and the idea is they partner with artists and you can take photos there what you would expect. I for the past three years I think now have gone to the press preview so I haven't paid and I think for the past three years have always Instagrammed myself there but the reason I do that and the only reason Is because I'm in that first wave of people. So I feel like you haven't seen the space yet. So I'm sort of like giving you that preview of, oh, like this is what it's going to be like this year. I find it fun. I love to see what they do. They partner with artists for every room. And honestly, the artists are amazing. Like they're really creative and do cool stuff. I would never pay to go. Honestly, I wouldn't. Okay. But... I do want to say, as you know, I love to go out to eat. (laughs) I do not typically go to the Instagrammable restaurants. I have seen some plates on Instagram that I'm like, oh, I would love like Don Angie's. God damn them. They're everywhere on Instagram (laughs) with this stupid ass rolled lasagna, like disrupting the lasagna world. And I'm tempted, like I want to go not to take a picture just because I'm like, oh, that's really pretty and it looks tasty. That doesn't sound like it would
1: look pretty. No, it's
0: pretty. Yeah.
1: It doesn't look like like lasagna flowers or something. It's pretty.
0: Yeah, it could be like a little tentacly, but I like it.
1: Okay. Um,
0: But I think the thing about all of these places I do end up going, so I like to go to hole in the walls that no one knows about, like... I actually found out about this through Verge. was like Ukrainian East Village restaurant. Mm-hmm. We were going there years ago. Right, for, for f- happy hour. Yeah, for happy hour because there's a bar attached to it called Sly Fox. But Where the d- drinks are like literally $3. Yeah. It's unsustainably cheap. Yeah, and when we were there, I remember the first time, I love pierogi. And I found out that there was a Ukrainian restaurant attached to this bar. And I literally was like, hold the freaking phone. I love pierogi. <laughs> and so I had to eat a pierogi immediately. And then... My place that I feel like no one had really known about for real got
1: co-opted by influencers. Yeah. It's trendy now. It has a neon sign and it has this very cool like old world New York feel. And it's been used now by like for like dazed photo shoots, for a Vogue photo shoot, for a magazine release party is like it's gone. It's yeah. Gone. I never Instagrammed there.
0: I guess all this is just to say I like to find places that delight me and are a surprise. Like it's a surprise to me. To find that place with the pierogi. That's tasty. And they sell blueberry pierogi. I just have to throw it out there. That's like a rarity. I grew up on it. It's the best.
1: <laughs> Are we coming back to Instagram from
0: the pierogi at any point? <laughs> and I like going to 29 rooms. Yes, I do Instagram, but I'm not going for the pick. I'm actually going because it's really fun for me to be surprised by what is popped up this year, like what the artist did. So I feel like I actually like these experiences more for the surprise element of, like, this is something new I've never f- experienced
1: or seen before. Got you. Got you. OK, well, I'm, I'm going to be a bit of a curmudgeon this mm. episode. I mean, it's just, like, annoying because I, I don't like people telling other people how to use social media. It's like really obnoxious. But I really hate Instagram if there's a brand even tangentially involved because I don't like being an arm of capitalism. (laughs) For example, Ashley and I went to a Drake concert and I am repulsed by his current brand and his weird obsession with shaming women for posting on Instagram. So the only photo that I took of the entire event was outside the Barclays Center, facing away. I did accidentally include the Best Buy logo in the background, but I hate Best Buy and would never endorse Best Buy. Anybody who follows me on Instagram, I hope already knows that about me as they're my close, intimate friends. The Drake concert really is (laughs) an Instagram place. Like everyone
0: there was dressed to impress and clearly was ready to be grammed. And the entire set of the show was like Instagram me. Like he turned the stage into an iPhone 10. Yeah, like a scrolling Instagram feed. I, I had to
1: Instagram that. I did. I but know. My story. I know. I know she did. It's. A, I mean, it's okay. We just. We whatever. We live. We live the way we want to live on the internet.
0: Caitlin just is silently judging me every time we go no. out
1: together. No, I'm just saying I have never been to an Instagram museum. I. Resent pop-ups, mostly as somebody now who, like, covers tech and retail and just, like, gets pitched immersive shopping experiences, like, 480,000 times a day. It's all baloney. It's, like, I don't know. None of it is, like, for fun. There's no joy in it. And also, like if I'm posting stuff that brands want me to post on my Instagram, then my Instagram is now completely divorced from its purpose, which is to reflect my life. I think that mm-hmm. Instagrams should have, like, nondescript backgrounds in your boring neighborhood bars, uh, your friends' apartments, possibly a park. Not too trendy of a park. And also, don't geotag. It's dangerous. You're going to get your all the natural beauty around your home destroyed by tourists. That's my <laughs> stance. I don't geotag. <laughs> I keep my secrets to myself.
0: Okay. All right. So I, I just think you and I are we're just on different ends of the spectrum here. Like I don't know if you can be convinced in a different way. I already enjoy the thing. I have my limits as to what I enjoy. Mm-hmm. So I guess we'll just see how this episode goes. I don't know where oh, you're gonna end up. Oh man. Or where I'll end up. Maybe everything will change. We never do. It's Maybe we'll an swap adventure. roles. Ew. You'll you'll be the
1: Instagrammer, and I'll never take an Instagram picture again. Actually, the last Instagram photo I posted was in Mimi's Diner, which is extremely hip. Very hip. And now I have ruined my entire point. Mm
0: -hmm. All right. So I talked to our former coworker, Zainab, who is now at Spotify, and she's super cool. She has amazing clothes. She's a DJ at tons of sick events. And just generally, I would call her a tastemaker. It's me then showing to another person, like, hey, you might have fun at this, like, go check it out too. Of course, I follow her on Instagram and I've seen on her stories that she apparently loves to go to these pop-ups, though she said they can often be a hit or a miss. One of the pop-ups she checked out recently turned out to be a dud. It's called Wonderworld and it advertises itself as an immersive exhibition that invites you to the realm of fantasy at the historic studio of Andy Warhol. She found Wonderworld on Instagram, obviously. On some blogger's
3: Instagram that I follow, and I like trust her opinion on a lot of stuff, so I thought, oh, this must be great, and she had a super cute picture there and i pull up to this thing we, it was really cheap the tickets were like 20 bucks the experience was terrible you go in and it's like this dingy apartment somewhere in soho the installations were so poorly done i feel like i could have made them myself the floor was dirty like i walked in and it was so underwhelming and i immediately was like this is so hilariously awful like people were standing in lines to take pictures of these stupid things it was like a bathtub that was really dirty then there was like a room with mushrooms
0: that were like so poorly made Like, they weren't even, like, cutely placed or anything. Zainab had such strong opinions on this whole experience that I'm almost like, girl, you need to start a blog just to talk about this. The infinity room was awful. The carpet inside that room was really dirty. It smelled like
3: feet. The whole thing was just, like, dingy, poorly done, and while we were there, we were just laughing at how
0: bad it was. Since she paid $20 for it, Zainab decided to get a pic, which is the most important thing here.
3: Well, we were like, we're here, so let's just take pictures anyways. In this photo, the floor, if look closely in this photo there's a bathtub basically and there's these floating bubbles above the bathtub and pink balloons that are just like anywhere for you to grab so there's two of my friends are sitting in the bathtub and i'm sitting on the outer edge of the bathtub And my other friend is sitting on the other edge. And we're literally just posing for a picture. But if you look at the bottom of the floor where the bathtub is sitting on, it's very dirty. Like, the colors come out nice in the photo. But if you were actually there, it is so underwhelming. It's literally a bathtub on the floor (laughs) with, like balloons around it.
0: Okay, so clearly Wonderworld was a fail, but she said there are some pop-ups that she loves, like Color Factory, which calls itself a celebration of color and creativity. Zayna paid a little bit more to go, like around $30 or so, but she said it was worth it, and it was an incredibly well-run operation.
3: So everyone sat down in this really cute room, actually, with these, like, pillars for seats that were all different colors, and all the employees there were wearing, like, these jumpsuits in different colors, so that was, like, a nice touch. And they basically went over, like, you know, no run have fun you have to get a card in the next room that will you will use in each of the rooms that would once you tap it it'll take a photo for you automatically so that was really cool because it's attached to an email so when you're done taking the photos it automatically sends to your
0: email so you don't even have to worry about taking the photos so it sounds like Zainab had a really great time at Color Factory but ultimately the point going to these pop-ups is to get a great pick so I had to know Does not matter if a million other people have the same photo as you in the same exact place? Gut reaction to having the same photo as someone else feels
3: kind of weird. You're just doing the same thing that everyone else is doing, which is obviously a little bit lame. But it's fine to share it with other people because your picture in that space is unique in its own way, right? Like you posed however you wanted to pose. You went with whatever friends you want. You wore a certain outfit. So it's going to be different from whomever. So I don't think people really care. Like at first it seems corny to like have the same exact photo. Like, oh, you went here to take the same photo that I already took like that seems a little bit corny but I don't think that's people's intentions they're just trying to have a good time at like the thing that's hot right now
0: Zayna really just does what feels right when it comes to posting as long as it fits with her brand also she says that these pop-ups are often for a limited time so they're relatively exclusive if it's something that's like
3: interesting to me or looks aesthetically pleasing then it's worthy of going on my feed but in terms of like oh what picture do I select from the hundreds that I took here that's like a that's my own personal thing <laughs> like Going through and being like, which one do I look good in? Or like, which room did people not necessarily post from? And did I get like a good picture from that room? You want to show a different side of going to that exhibit that everyone else went to. Everyone wants photos, like, and if you can have it in a space that you is unique and not like just going to Central Park or going to I don't know some like famous restaurant like which is accessible to everyone. I think that's like the draw of these places is that that they're temporary. They're not always going to be there. You can only go right now, and it's like a limited time only limited space like I think that exclusivity factor
0: also makes people want to go what's really interesting to me is two things one is that she got advertised to about the pop-ups on Instagram and that she got duped and then also just the fact that like no longer is it okay to just create a space that has a pretty wall it seems like consumers like Zainab are starting to get a little savvier and aren't going to fall for your tricks. And if they do, they're going to be really upset and talk crap about you on podcasts.
1: Consumers are always getting savvier. Mm-hmm. Can't We're pull not- one over on those kids. <laughs> We're not the naive kids we used to be. <laughs> okay, great. So to go fully the other end of the spectrum, away from the brands, into the secrets, mm. the secrets of New York, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I spoke to Christina Elanese, a New York City nightlife who organizes dance parties at a Chinese restaurant that is in the financial district. I've been throwing
4: events since a few years now. Tomorrow I have one at China Chalet, so we're going to talk about that.
1: So the restaurant's called China Chalet. It does not have an Instagram account, but has become
4: a bit of an Instagram Hotspot. At the end, I feel like the best parties and the best clubs have no Instagram whatsoever. Like Paul's Baby Grand, Paul's Casablanca, they do not use Instagram. You're not even allowed to take a picture in the club, yet it's the parties that are always packed in Manhattan
1: the recurring party that Christina hosts at China Chalet is called Virtual Disco. She said the China Chalet parties bring a lot of people out, specifically because
4: they aren't like a typical club vibe. Well, it's very, it's very kitsch, very old school, uh, dim sum restaurant. It really looks like an old Chinese restaurant. Uh, There's several rooms inside, big tables with the naps uh, on it. Like, it's really fun. The colors are really fun, uh, neon signs. Uh, you wouldn't expect to have a party there at all. Part
1: of what makes China Chalet such a good place to party and to post things to Instagram is that it wasn't designed for either one of those things. Christina says she doesn't even
4: know how it became cool. So basically, I think people like the fact that they're, they're not supposed to do that. And it's very rare to have an owner of a restaurant that allows us to do that in, the, in this restaurant. Uh, he has a liquor license and he's a really fun guy. So he's really down for it. But why do people enjoy it? I think it's just a decoration that's fun. People who go there like to dress up. The vibe is good. A lot of fashion people go there. And it's not a club. You know, everybody gets in. There's no door policy. As I suspected, nobody wants to go to a place designed
1: for Instagram anymore. They want real, old New York, the glory, the
4: grit, the dirty carpet. People are really tired of it. They don't want to have a unicorn a bagel. And you know, they want some real stuff. Old New York is cool too Like Everybody wants to be in New York That's going away now There's not a lot of Old establishments That still have that vibe Now everything is new For Instagram So it could be Anywhere in the world The places all look the same Except for China Chalet And a few places like that That still have that Old New York vibe
1: Even though China Chalet Is popular on Instagram Christina doesn't think It will ever get Too mainstream
4: A lot of clubs in New York They all have the same owner Like One Oak Avenue Up and down It's all the same people Behind it You know China Chalet Is a restaurant And he's the owner he has another Chinese restaurant uptown and that's it, you know, so I don't see it becoming mainstream at all Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think so. Please do not go to China Chalet I don't like when it's a, um, too mainstream You know like those clubs that everyone goes to since ages and like they have huge Instagram accounts and they just rely on that And it gets kind of old. I feel it's not very exciting I mean, this is sort of just another revenue line.
0: Like, mm-hmm. I don't know how many people are ordering Chinese food from China Chalet on a weekend night. Like, this is a very business-oriented area. Yeah, Does anybody
1: live here? I hope not.
0: Yeah. So I can kind of see why it would be lucrative for the restaurants to sort of put up with the young people you like bringing your own DJs and you can have a party. <laughs> God bless China Chalet. Oh man. All right Caitlin we have our feelings. What should we do now?
1: <laughs> I think we should talk to some experts as per usual. Mm-hmm. That and sounds like a plan. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna start with Eliza Brooke who is a contributing writer at the goods, a website I'm sure you've heard about. Vox.com backslash the goods. This girl all about what we buy, how we buy it, and why it matters. Woo, that's a plug. Eliza is really just one of those people who coherently and concisely expresses her thoughts. She's no nonsense. She, she has amazing pants up. too. Oh my god, yes, and sweaters. The
0: best pants game in box media.
1: Alright, so we will hear from
0: Eliza after this break.
1: Eliza Brooke is a senior reporter at The Goods on box.com.
0: Hi. Hey there. We're going to get into the meat right away. Great. Have you been to one of these Instagram museums?
2: It's Z- a museum. I, I know. They are museums. I have not been. This is very humiliating and maybe disqualifies me, but I also think that the experience is only half in the real world. Like, what is the Instagram experience or, like, what is the, like, museum experience that could motivate me to post a selfie of myself? And I, I was like, it would probably be, like, one of those, like, outside a corn maze, one of those little, like, wood blocks that you stick your face through. Oh, yes. Like, the ironic Instagram experience. Which is, you know, kind of, like, deplorable in its own way to to (laughs) approach it from that perspective. (laughs) It's—the whole thing seems very soul-sucking. And that is, like, maybe my bottom line here. There's a piece that Amanda Hess published in The New York Times over the summer— she went to a ton of these museums and Instagram experience spaces. And her big takeaway was like, this is just the most draining, soul-crushing thing. You're just waiting in line to take a photo like everybody else. It just like reminds us that we're all sheep. And also that we're all just like pawns in a corporate game. That's kind of my main feeling about it is like, I feel like it's kind of shitty to be like, oh, people who go to these things. That's so lame. Like, I don't want to condescend to them. But also, like, I think the experience is inherently condescending. Like, it's a brand saying, like, you are going to come into our space and you're going to take these photos and like, you'll think it's delightful. But like, you're really just marketing for us, Mm -hmm. whether it's like the museum itself or if it's like an actual brand mounting a pop-up that has these elements. I feel
0: like we're becoming more discerning as Instagrammers. Do you feel like the space could be
2: changing in that way? Like, do you think there can be sophistication to these? Like, if Museum of Ice Cream opens today,
1: does it do as well as it did two years ago?
2: Right. I would hope so. Like, this cannot remain static. You know, like, they're gonna have to keep figuring out ways to get us to engage with it. 29 Rooms has a section where you can't bring your phone into it and I think like that's that's really interesting because like a lot of these places claim to be art or claim to be like to create some kind of emotional experience and yeah to like have a truly emotional experience you probably should not have your phone in there so it seems like with that maybe they are striving for something that is more meaningful I kind of think this space is just going to keep getting bigger and bigger right and like brands are increasingly doing pop-ups that are super that are super instagrammy And so I feel like you're going to have some that are really just like beating you over the head with it and some that are
1: maybe going to be more interesting about it. What are some of the things that are, I guess, like trademarks of the Instagram experience design wise? And do you think that it's affecting like how things are designed overall?
2: I think, yeah, as far as like aesthetic tropes <laughs> go, yeah. like really bright colors, like overwhelming walls of repetitive things. I mean, like, you know, you'll have uh, like big flowery walls or like just really blunt force, bright, poppy aesthetics. It looks great on a screen. I don't know if we can actually pinpoint where this all came
0: from, but this has been a thing beyond brands and in the art world. So can you kind of talk a little
2: bit about that? Yeah. So the thing that, like, all of these draw the closest comparison to are Yayoi Kusama's Infinity Rooms, which are, like, you enter this space... It's often has cool light, lots of objects, and they're just repeated into infinity by these mirrored, mirrored walls. She's been doing this since the 60s, but you see them all over Instagram now because as far as museum experiences to Instagram go, they're perfect, right? Like, there's a mirror. You're in it. Everybody, like, wants to be in the photo. And they look super cool. And I think, like— this is an interesting case where, like, I think the experience of entering into a space like that is pretty cool. Like, that feels—there's something that feels kind of transcendent about that. And that feeling, I think, is probably missing from a lot of these museums of ice cream and pizza because so much of the experience of those is just, like, waiting around, I feel like that kind of, like, thrill of it is probably blunted a bit by that.
0: Well, and that's why I'm curious is, like, yeah, if for you, you know, you kind of have this—you find it kind of icky, these experiences. Do you find them icky because it's branded? Like, are you more comfortable with it being an independent artist?
2: It may not be all that different.
1: I mean, it becomes hard to draw the line, right? Because then we're going to say, like— Ban, like, beautiful (laughs) geographic features or, like... (laughs) Ban the Grand Canyon. (laughs) Yeah, stop going to Instagram experience Mount Rushmore. (laughs) I mean, maybe, though. Like, Uh, I think we have to figure out where we're
2: comfortable and why we feel bad about it. Have you guys been to, in Hershey, Pennsylvania, the, like... The Hershey's... We went there as Museum? Kids. Yeah. Are you from
0: Pennsylvania? <laughs> no, I'm from Chicago, but okay, we took an East Coast trip.
2: Yeah. I went there, like, in college, I think, just for fun. And, like, that at least you know exactly what you're getting into. You're like, this is a brand. This is, like, them telling their weird brand story and they're these, like, little, like, they're just rides. They're just, like it's a small world rides and I probably felt like a little icky about it but I was also like there was some joy in it just because it was like this is so goofy and that's the thing like it did not it didn't feel insidious because I did not feel like I was like being incepted in any way like I felt like I knew what the rules of the game were and with something like the museum of pizza where yeah where you have to then go like figure out what this branded content studio is and like who are they working for I mean, okay this yeah, is, I, this I think is, okay. I think maybe this is it. Like I think it's like if you know who the message is coming from and you know what you're getting into, fine. Mm-hmm. like go enjoy it, feel how you feel, whatever, or ignore it if you want to. But yeah, it starts to feel more insidious when there's just some kind of like like who's making money who's off making this? money off of this? Yeah, what am I supporting? And also, I mean, I think the core question with all of these experiences is like, What is the experience? I mean, that's what all these articles about it are asking, right? They're like, is the experience like the photo that you take away from it after? Or is like, is the experience like waiting in line? Like, what am I getting out of this? Like it just feels like a shell. It feels so empty. And I think like that's kind of tied into the like, yeah, the like who's running it? What is this about? What is this? With the branded thing, you're like, okay, this is pure this is pure marketing for this brand. Mm
0: All right. That was great. Eliza, a doll, as expected, best person. We'll get into what we think about all of this later because we have a big episode to get to.
1: Two experts! Yeah.
0: So now we're going to talk to Piera Gillardi of Refinery29 and also one of the visionaries for 29 Rooms, which is Refinery's pop-up experience that they put together every year. She's going to kind of walk us through how the pop-up world is developing and what's up with the future. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we are back with Piera Gilardi. She is the executive creative director and co-founder at Refinery29. That's me. Very easy off the bat. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about 29 Rooms for people who don't
5: know what it is and sort of how long it's existed, how it came about? Absolutely. Um, so 29 Rooms started in 2014. We were celebrating the 10-year anniversary of Refinery29, which is a media and entertainment company focused on women And we wanted to bring our brand to life in a physical space and really do something that would be a gift to our audience. We we felt like we had made it to 10 years. We wouldn't be there without our audience. Um, And we also wanted to celebrate the different creative voices that bring our platform to life. So we had this idea to take over a warehouse in Brooklyn and turn it into 29 distinctive rooms, each created in partnership with a different creator or brand. And we were really thinking at the time about how we could create the space where our audience could also create their own content, um, because we were seeing sort of the shift in in people's sort of choices of where they were where they were going based on places that they could you know take great photographs or or create great content. And so we made this event; it was free and open to the public the first year, and we really tried to design it in this way where it would be each room would be really immersive, have a story behind it and allow the audience to create content within our walls. You know, it was a total experiment. It was meant to be a 10-year birthday party. And we opened our doors and just saw this huge wave of interest, you know, epic lines around the block, which wasn't our intention. And we saw people just really loving the experience, being transformed by it, coming through and saying how creative it made them feel, how transformative it was for them, and then just seeing that the... content that they created within our walls, people making art films, music videos, doing fashion shoots. uh, And just, you know, it really had this enormous social halo. So the first year we reached one in six people on Instagram. And so it was such a it was such a big success that we ended up making it an annual event. And now, you know, it's scaled so this year we did it in four different cities um, across the U.S. So when you
0: first opened it up, had you posted about it on Instagram? Like how did was that more just like a lot of your friends in New York knew about it and they told their friends because if it hadn't been posted about yet, did people,
5: how did people know about it? So because we were working with so many different creative people that first year, you know, we were working with St. Heron Solange. We were working with Petra Collins, Chantel Martin, a lot of really amazing creatives as we were building it we started to share it on instagram starting to share the progress and and our you know our creators were sharing the progress as well so i think that was sort of how the buzz started to build and you know, every year we curate a different group of people. And so that is pulling in, A, the people that just have seen 29 Rooms and Love Refinery, but also the audiences for these different creatives that want to see their work in real life and be able to interact with it. So
1: you have, I think, called this a funhouse and a museum and probably a pop-up, right?
5: Yeah, we don't call it a museum, I think. Okay. For us, you know, we, we sort of see a museum as a very specific cultural, educational Space, So I think of it as sort of a hybrid between a fun house and an exhibition because we are bringing in all these different creative people, but we're reframing art and fashion and tech in this extremely immersive, fun way that I think people aren't used to seeing. And I think that often... Art can feel really intimidating for people. You walk into a gallery space, the person at the front desk doesn't even say hi to you. It's all white. You're just meant to look at the work. The descriptions are super you know, intellectual. And so I think for most people, they don't feel like they have an entry point into that world. They don't necessarily feel like they have an entry point into fashion. So for us, what we were trying to do is take these areas that we knew our audience was interested in, but make them much more... Just make them much more interactive and much more inclusive. Um, so our staff is more like a staff you would maybe see at Disney, <laughs> Disneyland, or something. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the people that we hire are dancers and actors, and really meant to speak to the, you know, speak to our guests about the work that they're that they're stepping into, the experience that they're about to have, um, and really making it a welcoming space that you know people don't necessarily get when they go through, you know, some more traditional kind of cultural spaces.
1: Would you guys steer clear of the word like activation or like some of these terms that come up when people talk about brands doing, you know, like experiences or pop-ups that are like obviously inspired by 29 Rooms?
5: Yeah, I mean, there are certain words that feel like marketing buzzwords that, you know, I try to stay away from. But sometimes when you're talking in the Mm -hmm. industry, you end up using them anyway. You know, I think our event is a little hard to define, because it, it mashes up a lot of different types of experiences. It's sort of like I've been calling it a tasting menu of experiences because you can come through. You can dance in a House of Yes dance club. You can do a blindfolded ASMR, ASMR maze. Um, so there's like a lot of different touch points within it. Yeah, there's certain words that you hear a lot like immersive, experiential,
1: yeah. multisensory. <laughs>
5: uh, and they all, I guess, technically describe the event. But they're definitely buzzwords.
1: I definitely use the word content to describe my own work sometimes, just Same. like by accident, it just happens. content maker here. <laughs> I do it too.
5: <laughs> it's kind of it's hard to escape. Although I I I try to speak in plain English.
0: <laughs> it's interesting that you brought up art galleries because I was really trying to think back to when. It's so hard to trace back to when people started taking photos at places and then posting it specifically because it was, like, a cool place.
5: Yeah.
0: Um, and I was thinking of um, the, like, Infinity Rooms. Yeah, Kusama. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, was that an inspiration for you guys? Because that was a little bit before you launched.
5: Yeah, it was definitely, you know, I, I went to art school and I do go to a lot of galleries and museums. And um, interestingly, even though I do that regularly, I, I still find the experience to sometimes be a little alienating. But I was noticing even in my own patterns, sort of what was motivating me sometimes to go to a show would be the fact that I knew that I would get a really amazing photo. And, you know, the I think I was realizing that there was this new motivation that people had as creators on these new platforms like Instagram and YouTube and, ever you know, everywhere that all of a sudden people were motivated to go to things because they would be able to to use our buzzword capture great content. So, yeah, a friend of mine worked at David's Werner and invited me to go see the Yayoi Kusama show and Yayoi Kusama is an artist that I've loved since I was a teenager and wasn't someone that really I had ever experienced, you know, having huge name recognition or being like a pop star. And I went to the show, and there was this line around the block, which for me, that was definitely something when I thought about the design of our show, I thought, well, let's use that as a way of really creating value for our audience. We want to create a really great in-person experience that's thoughtful, that's meaningful, that's transformative. But we also want it to be a place where you can get great images of yourself, because I think that's really a value to modern people that are content creators of whatever scale that is, whether it's a total personal hobby or professional.
0: How have you seen over the years people change their interactions? Like that first year, was there a learning curve or was it a natural instinct to take a photo in this place? Was it something like now it's like, oh, I see a pretty wall with nice wallpaper. Obviously I'm going to take a photo in front of it.
5: Yeah, I think it was pretty intuitive for people. I hadn't really seen anyone lean into it the way that we did, but people naturally were already taking pictures in that way, you know, because I, Instagram had reached a, a point that it was pretty ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. So, I think we've learned a lot about what makes great experiences and we've learned a lot about how to design our space and for us we've we know that our audience values the ability to You know, capture images and videos in our space, but we also really want to build for a great in person experience. And so for us, that's been the evolution is thinking about both and also recognizing that there's a portion of our audience that you know, really wants to experience our space experience, the artists have this meaning, these meaningful moments and doesn't necessarily want them interrupted by phones. So it's this balancing act. I think even people that maybe, you know, don't consider themselves like aspiring influencers, like they still take. They still take pictures and they still document themselves in different places. But like this year, we brought in a lot more performance. We brought in a bunch of phone-free rooms. Um, we focused on some of the feedback that we got from the audience that they wanted more hands-on creativity. They wanted more opportunities to connect with each other. So it's for us, it's ever-evolving. And it's interesting to see sort of the two different camps emerge of people that really are motivated by The content creation aspect and then the people that are really coming to interact with a new kind of cultural experience
1: yeah, it's so interesting to me that you had like the phone free rooms this year. Um, I feel like the general idea of these kind of experiences has gotten like a lot more scrutiny recently. like the New York Times did that mm-hmm. piece about like the existential dread yeah. of Instagram museums. and um just in general, it seems like brands picking up on it. it's gotten like more and more cynical. They're just like, well, if we give a if we give a young person a place to take a photo, like we've given them an experience.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think for us, because 29 Rooms is rooted in Refinery29 as a content, you know, media, entertainment, storytelling, you know, that's like our, that's what we do. I think for us, that's always important to make sure. So we kind of start our creative process thinking about what are the topics that are really interesting to our audience right now? Who are the voices within those topics that we want to elevate in our space? Um, We think a lot about, you know, elevating women's voices in our space and, you know, LGBTQ voices, et cetera. I think a lot of the scrutiny is sort of based in this judgment around selfie culture. Mm. And I've seen how that narrative has built and how people are really quick to kind of jump onto it and make it about this, the vapid nature of like millennials. But I think what we see is that actually the way that, A, I don't, I'm not here to judge how people want to spend their time, how they want to experience something, or what makes them feel good. But I think what we see with our space is that a lot of the way people use the selfies, you know, or the pictures that they take or self-portraits that they take, however you want to frame it, are actually to speak about issues that are really important to them. So we just had, you know, National Mental Health Awareness Month. We had National Coming Out Day. And on those types of days, we see, you know, because I follow our hashtag, we see this surge in people using the images that they take at 29 Rooms to talk about these, you know, deeply personal, meaningful aspects of their life. So I see where this scrutiny comes from, but I feel like it's not really taking into account the full story, um, at least not with our space. Um, And I think also, you know, social media has allowed a lot of people that weren't, you know, previously that were sort of excluded from the visual landscape or just the editorial landscape to insert themselves into it and tell their own stories and find other people that look like them or have similar experiences to them. It's much more complex, I mean, as is the whole world, um, (laughs) than than it's kind of laid out as. And, you know, I'm interested in sort of where the trend goes, especially in the space of people like, you know, the concept store that you were mentioning, where it really is just about the backdrop and there's not really a narrative. There's not really an artist or someone who has an interesting voice creating the space. You know, I'm curious to see how that evolves. I think, you know, we've seen an uptick in, you know, Museum of Avocado, Museum of Pinatas, <laughs> Museum of all these different yeah things. And I think, it, you know, we just have to see how that plays out. For us, we're trying to incorporate a lot more storytelling and a lot more meaning into our space. You know, having people have conversations with strangers, having them tap into their inner child and write a note to their inner child. So things that are trying to uncover something deeper. I do think that that also requires a level of openness that not everyone has. And I often think that people that kind of lean into that surface narrative, haven't actually taken the time to follow our instructions and, you know, be blind, be blindfolded or have an intimate conversation with a stranger or dance in our dance club. Like, and in order to have the type of experience that we think we can provide, you kind of have to be open to it and let your guard down and be a little bit vulnerable in the space.
0: I'm curious, though, how you think about brands' relationship to that because I think Caitlin and I both have an inherent distrust of brands. And so I'm curious how you balance that because if you're telling me, talk to your inner child, but not that this was the case with you guys specifically, but, like, talk to your inner child, but sponsored by Bank of America. Right. How do you think about that relationship? I understand it has to pay the bills, but, like, how do you think about that?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think we try with the branded rooms in our space – We try to make them additive to guest experience. You know, we try to follow the same creative principles with our brands and provide a level of transparency too. So there's 29 rooms in the space and usually between six and eight of them are branded, um, clearly marked. And then we have a lot of editorial. I mean, the vast majority of the rooms are editorial or artist created. So I think for us, we're kind of trying to accept like the whole of our lives, like, A, we have a, yeah, we have a business to run and part of the business model for the event. And the way that we're able to put it on and not have $200 tickets is that these brands come in and, you know, sponsor parts of the the space. Um, But we also try and make those experiences that we create with brands something that's additive. So like a Revlon photo studio, knowing that our audience, you know, loves taking great pictures of themselves or, you know, a buy tasting room so people can have, you know, beverages in a fun environment while they're in our space. So we try and be really thoughtful about how the brands are integrated. So that's that's kind of our take on it is we're trying to work, you know, work with brands that you know, our audience is interested in and then work with them to, you know, we always tell our brands, like, if you're interested in just making the logo bigger, this isn't the experience for you, you know, and we give them our, our principles so that it's as authentic and experience as, you know, as we can.
0: So the whole topic we're talking about is, like, what makes a place photogenic or what makes something Instagram worthy? So I'm curious if you have some, like, pro tips of what you think makes a space when you're thinking about each room. Yeah. Like, what are the top-line
1: things you should include. Or, like, some ideas that flopped, also.
5: Well, I think we think about framing a lot, so sort of how the space frames the person. I mean, we usually try and design for having multiple areas that, that uh, you know, frame a person. So designing, thinking about wh- how people are going to interact with the space and, and where they could take a picture. Um, lighting is so critical. I've been to so many, um, brand you know, events where... They've clearly designed them for social sharing, but then they have terrible lighting that you can't actually get a good picture, or you can't light like you're not li- you're lit, but the background is blown out, or vice versa. Um, so I think that's really, really. A critical element Um, and then we see a lot of you know when we play with scale or with pattern and repetition that that tends to be something that is you know popular for photography in addition to lighting what I have seen not work is you know I guess at other events like when the I think just thinking really carefully about where the logo and hashtag is like I'm not someone that's going to post an image of myself with a really prominent Logo in it, you know, even my own logo or like a really prominent hashtag. Like to me, that just feels cheesy. So I think it's fine to have the hashtag in your space, but just like... I don't know. I was just laughing so hard walking here because the New York Stock Exchange has like half the building has the (laughs) Instagram handle. And it's like, tag us in your picture. Yeah. I was like, like, oh, I really want to tag the New York Stock Exchange, (laughs) but I can't figure out what the handle is. Um, Our radar for what being marketed to is so high. You have to be really thinking about like not what not what you're going to get from someone, but what you're giving to someone it's kind of like you kind of have to give freely and and hope that maybe that person will then feel inclined to share, you know, to share the experience or if or they'll have, you know, a really great favorable opinion of your brand as a result.
0: Yeah, it really feels like this market is maturing.
5: Oh, definitely. And that's what's
0: interesting to watch is because it really has happened very quickly. Yeah, And like even you incorporating some no phone rooms, mm-hmm. for example, is like a very different take on what these experiences can become. Yeah, And it's just really fascinating to me to see how that goes down.
5: So the only experience isn't just taking pictures because Mm -hmm. I think actually what we were trying to get away from with building the space in the first place was this view-only experience that a lot of things you go to are. Like... Even when you go to a, you know, when you go to a movie, when you go to a play, when you go to an art gallery, when you go to a fashion show, you're just sitting and looking or standing and looking. So we have been evolving it to think about how do we provide a lot more layered experience. Do you think that 29 rooms
1: could have existed like at another time? Like would this have been successful in the 80s and like the Polaroid days or is it reliant on Instagram?
5: I think yes and no. Part of what inspired us to create 29 Rooms was, like, actually thinking back to different parties and art shows and things that I had gone to in my days in New York pre-Instagram that just were so memorable to me. Like, part of it was, like, leaning into the unexpected, like, wanting to go, you know, thinking about parties that I'd been to in a warehouse where you're like, where the hell am I? And then all of a sudden you go inside and it's this world of wonder and delight and surprise. So... I think those types of things have existed far before Instagram. And, you know, as humans, like we want to be wowed. We want to be in spaces of beauty and wonder and have transformative moments. So I think in that way, I think it could totally have existed before our Instagram era, but it's definitely taken off and lot. you know, we've been able to scale it and grow it and bring more audience and, and sponsors to it because of the Instagram as, you know, that Instagram is kind of this marketing tool that gets the word out that this event exists so in many ways it markets itself because many people are sharing it on Instagram so I don't definitely don't think we could be as successful with it if it wasn't for Instagram but I do think that it would still be a great experience even if Instagram didn't exist
0: All right, so we have come a long way. It's been a long episode, but I will not apologize because this might end up being my favorite episode ever. So sorry you all had to sit through it, but not really. Um, Caitlin, how are you feeling post-interviews? Like, where
1: are you at? I feel like we have come to a pretty good rule of thumb, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. When it comes to... Instagram photos and brands.
0: Yeah. It seems to me like the Instagram place doesn't just have to do with aesthetics. It has to kind of do with the corporate overlords and who Mm -hmm. we're supporting by going
1: to this place. Like, who runs the Museum of Pizza? Right. I want transparency. Yeah. I will maybe participate in your brand activation if it's really cool and if you're not trying to pretend it's not a brand activation.
0: Totally. And like even with Instagram restaurants to me, I don't know who these owners are. Like, yes, you know, obviously famous chefs open restaurants and people might identify with a chef. But as someone who's more like, that's not, I don't I don't know who you are. Like, I don't know what you're about. Whereas like China Chalet, for example... I like that I can see the owner just hanging out. It makes me feel better about things. I'm like, oh, there he is. Or even Ukrainian East Village restaurant. I'm like, oh. It's not just because it's a local business, but I think it could go into that where it's like, I understand who I'm supporting here. I can see them. It's not just this faceless corporation or yeah, it's something I have no idea what I'm buying into. I wanna know who I'm supporting. And I'm okay with supporting 29 Rooms because I'm like, they support artists. Like they actually hire artists. And I'm like, that's cool. And Piera kind of hit on this, too, where it's like they're bringing political causes into their rooms because they're noticing that that's important to people. And, like, that's neat, I think. It's at least self-aware.
1: Yeah, yeah. Also, like, the difference between 29 Rooms and something like the Museum of Ice Cream is that 29 Rooms has so many more options. So you actually do kind of have to have, like— an eye and you have to like actually look for something cool and like a cool way to do the photo or whatever i think like the bigger like overarching trend that we haven't even really talked about is that like the age of instagram is also the age of like the smartphone camera and like every person being an amateur photographer and like trying to develop like some amount of of taste and like mm-hmm. expertise,
4: mm-hmm.
1: that's like something people are training themselves to do, just as part of their like daily life. So like obviously, we're not all going to be content with getting the exact same photo and the exact same like dumb backdrop that some brand built for us. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I think that's why Zainab, you know, wants a space where she has more to the experience than just the photos, because I don't think for her the photos aren't everything. And like for me, because I'm maybe a pretentious asshole, I'm like I want the more underground spots or to be first. Like that's important to me. I'm like that is that is my brand is I like wanna be the person who knows about the new spots or finds an old spot that's actually awesome. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to ha- be prescribed to. Like I'm like I don't need you to tell me subconsciously, here's flamingo wallpaper. Take a picture in front of it. Try it.
1: See how it is. <laughs> wow. Very I'm like, competitive and very resistant to being told what to do. <laughs> it's true.
0: Okay, so I think looking to the future, I have hope. I feel like what's gonna end up happening is that some of these lamer pop-ups that are clearly just are money grabs and are like, we're doing this because we want money aren't gonna last. Like I, I feel like those will eventually die out mm-hmm. and the industry will self-regulate.
1: Dang, the creatives will win. Mm-hmm. Cheers to art artists. <laughs> oh man, we gotta like really lame is at the end of this. <laughs>
0: Content creators. All right, so that is it. Hope you enjoyed. As usual, here is my spiel. Thank you to Andrew Marino and Bridget Armstrong, our producers, they're the best. You can follow Caitlin on Twitter at K-A-I-T underscore Tiffany. You can tell her all about your favorite pop-up experiences. You can tweet at me, at Ashley R. Carmen, and actually tell me what the cool underground spots are because I need to be in the know. And as usual, you can also email us at button at verge.com. We've really loved receiving your emails, by the way, and we really appreciate them. We've loved all the ones we've received about the emoji skin tones and we're really excited about that episode so thanks to everyone who sent those in and just a note after this marathon episode a marathon mini series we are taking a break off next week so we won't be here next week but the week after we will have content for you i promise all right see you later bye bye